Hi everybody, welcome back. This is um, Foundations 4 now. Um, this is yeah my eighth podcast, I think. Yeah, I think it's number eight. Um, so I just thought I was going to talk a little bit more today about um, the sort of Foundations idea um, and just kind of what that kind of holistically means to me and uh, and then what that might mean to yourself because it's like a it's like a it's like a conceptual thing isn't it you know um the specifics of it are all are different to all of us but um the uh the sort of overarching idea is something that we um we all share i think um and it's kind of share. I'm just sharing my kind of experiences of uh, different aspects of this idea of of, uh, of foundations and the kind of uh, approach to learning and practicing and trying to get better on the on this old drum kit thing. Um, I'm kind of sat at my practice kit at the moment. The um, <clears throat> the drum room is. Um, it's a real mess at the moment. It's a bit of a nightmare because I bought all these drums and I haven't managed to really uh, sort it out. So uh, I was. This is one of the ones I've decided to film this podcast, um, and I'll, I will stick it up on YouTube at some point. I've been quite late in the day um, with one of the previous episodes that was filmed because uh, it was just kind of uploading like a podcast. It's over an hour long. The videos are like massive, you know. So. It just uh, I had to sort of find some time at work to um, to use the server because at, at home I just don't really have the bandwidth to upload. It just takes forever, you know. The files are huge, three, two or three gigabytes or something, you know, because it's like an hour or so long. And I just do reasonably okay quality video. It's not amazing quality video, but um, but these this one and one of the previous foundations i'm doing a bit i'll be doing a little bit of playing on it and some of the playing isn't kind of as obvious um when you're listening as as when you're watching whereas like on on the the episode about sort of the time metronome exercise and uh one of the other episodes where i was doing a little bit of playing it, it wasn't so important but i thought i'll film today you know um but I have actually got a proper kit set up at the moment. So there's a bit of a, just a bit of kind of news. And uh, just, yeah, I'm drinking this rather nice Silver Heart IPA, Yorkshire Heart. Mm. It's a Christmas beer that um, was bought as a little present for me. Um, and this is the last one. It says taste spice, lemon, and citrus. Very nice. So I'm just kind of uh, mm, having a little drink of this while I'm talking to you. Well, actually, I'm talking to myself ultimately, but uh, hopefully, you know, somebody may hear this, which should be nice. Um, but yeah, I've I've decided to. Um, put some extra soundproofing into my drum shed um it's not going to make it soundproof because that would would sort of mean a complete redesign really beginning starting at the beginning again i don't really have 
the time for that because um, you, um, in in this room I have I have a lot of drums stored on shelves and stuff and uh, at the moment there's there's four drum kits in cases in here on the other side of the of the uh, of the of the shed the drum shed so it's basically drum sheds in two halves one half has um sort of this drum I suppose where the drum kit is is where I film a lot of my um practice videos which I'll sort of talk a little bit about that in the podcast today um I used to be in the other side but there's a door on the other side which is the sort of one of the main doors two doors is there's the door behind me that I load my gear out of and then the other door is the old, the original door. We had this expanded. It was originally about nine foot long. It was a small summer house, very nice. Uh, and then I kind of took it over, and, and then the guy that built it, we uh, we asked him about sort of basically doubling the size of it, which he, he added another eight foot. So it's almost twice the size of, it, of what it was. And I had the drum kit on the other side, and the door is very, it's a very thin door, so... There was a lot of noise going out, and I'm sort of on top of a on top of a quarry. It's like quite high up um, the summer house, the, the the drum shed, which is now called, but it was a summer house. And uh, so it's sort of um, the, tra- the sound travels a bit. And uh, I'd, look, I'd last the year before last, not last summer, but the summer of of 2018, I had some problems. Um, because I was practicing for a specific show um, that I was learning at the time. And um, I don't want to go too much on that because I'm going to talk about practicing today uh, in this Foundations episode. But but basically, uh, the practice that I was doing was quite repetitive. I was practicing a groove uh, for a tune that I was playing, which is the famous John Robinson, Ain't Nobody, Chaka Khan, Groove. And I was practicing that groove um, because I I find it a tricky groove it, to play it properly. I mean, I you don't hear a lot of people play it properly. You hear a lot of people miss out quite a lot of that groove um, because it's it's actually quite hard to play. Um, I mean, even just coordination. I mean, forget the fact that it's John Robinson and the grooves like you know whatever incredible. But it's just a thing of just to play that groove, you know. So anyway, I, I did a show. There's a show that I do. I'm in, sort of involved in periodically. It's um, it's a really nice show, and we play um, some tunes like that. And we were playing that tune, um, and I was practicing for that show. And anyway, one of my um, one of my neighbours, it was you know, it was annoying. So we had a bit of a thing. And then I so I moved the drums to the other side of the shed. When when this side of the shed was built, the summer house, the shed, whichever you want to call it, I did ask him to put more, um, put some some actual soundproofing in the walls. Um, and so the walls on this side are actually full of rock wool, whereas on the other side, I think they're just timber construction um, with with some insulation but with not 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 the same so what i've asked him to do anyway this, sorry this is very boring but i'm just explaining why things are in complete chaos at the moment and why i'm not on a drum kit so if you're watching this on the video this isn't as you can see i've got a cajon down here i've got my practice snare which has got a practice head on it only sound off some hi-hats and a ride cymbal which uh 
which has got a sound off practice thing. So, so, and I, I find this this kind of covers actually a lot of what I lot of what I practice because what a lot of things that I practice these days are actually coordinational. You know, so um, so I need a bass drum, I need a hi hat, I need a snare drum, and I need a cymbal to hit really. And uh, sometimes I don't need the cymbal because I'm just playing playing on the hi hat. But it's also all the foot hi hat things that I like to practice. I need, you know, to be able to play the foot higher as well. I got my practice pad next to it, but normally here I have the kit that I do my videoing on. But, um, but sadly, um, sadly that's not the case at the moment because I'm about to move everything out of here because the the chap that built it, I um, I've been trying to persuade him for a while to add some more uh, double glazing into this side so to, to sort of double up the double glazing to put so it's quadruple glazed which he's he came around and had a look at it and he, and he kind of i don't think he really understood what i was asking him to do and when he saw it he kind of said oh yeah it makes sense and then i'm going to do some soundproofing on the door and on the wall behind me where the where the quadruple glazing go and he's also going to put an internal door in which will separate the two sides of the uh, of the shed from each other because the other side's got my computer which I record and stuff in there so it's you know so it's kind of like a, that's a little bit of a workspace I also have I have like my box of I quite like messing around with soldering irons and um, and circuit boards and LED lights and things like that which I've been trying to learn a bit about little power supplies and things so all that stuff's kind of over on that side and it's a bit of a nightmare, it's a bit of a mess. Um, and then there's all these drums which I need to move and, and sort out. I've kind of <clears throat> I've managed to get rid of one of my other kits, which is nice. Well, I've actually still got it, but it's somebody's somebody's taken it off my hands, which is great. And um, so I've got a few more bits and bobs of things to get rid of and create a bit of space. But then basically the, the, I've got this little Yamaha kit, lovely um, Yamaha kit, which I've been playing for the last couple of years with uh, doing a lot of gigs on it. And that's the kit that I'm actually going to set up in here. When things are actually sorted, that's going to be a permanent a kit that's going to be permanently set up. The Sonor Phonics are the ones I'm going to gig with. Um, so I'm going to do all my gigs on all those because I've got all the different toms, got three bass drums. So the Yamaha is going to be um, going to be a little uh, used for recording in here. So it's going to be like a permanent setup, and I'm going to really spend quite a lot of time trying to get quite a, a nice sound out of that um, kit within this space, you know. And then I should be able to do a lot more practice on a kit, which is not what I'm doing at the moment and currently haven't been for quite a while, um, which is a bit of a bit of a drag. Um, so that's kind of what's going on in the drum room and a bit of a mess, really. So getting all that sorted out. So it's been a bit of a funny week. It's been a very busy week and um, not really had much chance to sort of think about what I was going to do today and talk about today. And it's a day late. I wanted to record this yesterday, but it's Saturday now. So I don't normally do it on a Friday night, but we had an event at work last night, which was great. We had some amazing music going on and stuff. And uh, so I couldn't get home in time anyway to do this. And I was very, very tired. And uh, so, um, but then today came and I was like, I need to do the podcast today. Well, I know I want to do the podcast. I was like, actually thinking, what am I going to, what am I actually going to talk about? I had written some things down during the week. Because what I tend to do is I just 
just um, in my phone. I don't know, if, you know, other people probably do this. Um, I tend to just when something sort of an idea comes to me or whatever, I just write it in a little note. You know, I just it can just sometimes be these random sentences that sometimes I go back to. You know, like a few weeks later, and I've got absolutely no idea what they mean. <laughs> so I've got like loads of those things hanging around in my phone these little weird notes sometimes they're just people that, that sometimes people tell me about an artist and they say oh listen to this person you know and I just write the name down and uh, often don't have a reference for what that is um, but normally if I go on like YouTube or something and, and type the name in there's you know lots of things will come up but something will be music or drum related jazz related or whatever I'll normally be able to you know, work out, put the uh, put the jigsaw together, so to speak. Um, but I also make I make notes for the podcast. You know, just like um, I was listening last night to uh, some amazing music by one of our tutors at college, um, Lauren Kinsler. She's an amazing vocalist. If you've not checked her out, she's a truly amazing vocalist. Just um, incredible voice control of voice but also um, amazing knowledge of harmony melody music and uh, uh, impeccable pitch pitching like really the control is um, sort of mind-blowing and very inspiring you know it's great you hear people that have that level of um of control and, and commitment to the material that they're doing, you know. Um, but there was a there was a tune anyway in that. Um, I've not gone too much about the gig, but there was a tune in there that was uh, there was some poetry in it, and she was talking about trees. The tune's about trees, about roots, trees and roots, and forest, and a sort of the connection of the trees, and um, probably loads of other levels of it that I was probably missing. Um, but I was kind of thinking about something just came to me when I was listening to these lyrics. I made one of these little notes, you know, which kind of ties into today's, the theme of today's thing. It was like a sort of moment of like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not gonna, I know what I'm going to talk about kind of, um, I think I know what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. That was my thought when I wrote this note down. And then this morning I woke up and was, was a bit unsure. But as the day went on, I was like, Oh, yeah, 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 that was what it was. That was the vibe of what it was, yeah. And uh, I was just thinking about this thing about, um, like, when, you, when, you're in a, when you're in a forest or, you, you know, you're walking in the countryside and you walk through uh, forest land um, and there's lots of very tall trees and you're inside, you know, like a woodland and uh, there's all this stuff going on on the ground, you know, these, like, creatures and all kinds of other foliage plant life and stuff but you know the, the trees the big trees dominate don't they they're, they're kind of um, you know they 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 only let so much light through nature really takes advantage where it can of that you know um but the kind of camouflage and the and the shelter of the trees you know also provides this haven as well for or uh, all, all the stuff that's going on around, you know. But very occasionally you see on the outside, on the periphery of these forests, these these rogue trees that are growing that have successfully 
kind of made their way or the you know the seeds have fallen outside of where the light is not enough for them to sort of you know ultimately flourish you know and then um and sort of like new you know new woodland or new trees or a new sort of you know a new part of the woodland starts to grow you know and there's like that idea of um of of things that when they find space open ground you know they have this opportunity to thrive or this um and it's kind of a uh, there can be you know a lot of luck involved in that in nature because it's you know the, whatever the way the wind's blowing how something falls from from the mother tree you know blah 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 and uh, maybe you know it gets carried by an animal and then dropped you know there's all kinds of things that can be going on and uh, we have a thing around us here because we have these um we have a lot of sycamore trees and they just grow. Sycamore trees are like, you know, they just, uh, they're relentless. Like the hickory thing, you know, like what drumsticks are made out of. You know, they're essentially weeds, really. Um, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's just that they are weeds. They grow in incredibly uh, quickly. They, they, they're real opportunist kind of trees, you know. And uh, we have to be very careful around here because the sycamores, because they basically, they grow and they take up all of the kind of, skyline you know you lose a lot of sunlight you know so you kind of all the time you've got to try and find this balance really with you know what's allowed to thrive and what you know what we should sort of you know cut down or or um, sort of stale you know keep under control um and it's it sort of ties into today's thing was basically this idea of sort of foundations um three four sorry um is so it's moving on from when you're setting your sort of standard you're setting this new standard for yourself you know you, within your sound or within your technique or within your style playing or speed or whatever it is can be or any or all of those elements it tends to be all of those for me because uh, I, you know, I do, I do like to practice slowly and quickly, but there's this thing of like, you know, then a, what to practice, you know, this, this, there's one thing of how to practice, practicing properly, understanding when you are practicing, which I've discussed in previous in the previous podcast, and also I was talking about you know metronome practice. Uh, just have a quick drink. Mm. Very nice. Um, there's also this thing of of what to practice, and and then kind of why why one ends up practicing what they do, and what and the, and the sort of decisions as to as to why you know it's like oh you know why did I get into practicing these things? Why did I carry on practicing these things? You know, uh, I've talked before about you know having lessons with Dave Hassel, and Dave gave me some. You know, some very specific exercise like practicing time, feathered bass drum, like very quiet, like that, and the higher, and then these left hand independence exercises, etc., etc. And when you don't, when you don't really know anything about, well, who you are really, or what 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 the heck's going on around you at all? You're just sort of um, getting into playing and you're sort of flailing about and listening to different players. You you know there comes a point where suddenly you, you, know, you start studying or studying with somebody, 
and um, you're given exercises, you're given things to practice, and some things you accept and you they stay with you long term. These are the, the, the kind of trees that flourish outside of the sort of um, you know the boundary of the woodland, so to speak, the the, the established woodland, you know. Um, which can be, you know, within yourself or within uh, within the bigger scene of people around you and what you're doing within the scene. Because sometimes we forget, you know, that we we add to what we do, as in within ourselves. We are a thing, you know, that does stuff, and we add to that. But also within the circle of people, the social side of of the music or just or just of life you know just people that friends and people that we play with and all that as we grow there's a there's a fascinating thing as, as all the people around me who uh, who I've known for a long time musically and, and, and personally um, the way in which they've grown and they have added to the um, to the established um woodland if you like of of what it, of what existed within a scene you know what what the music that they've written and the way their playing's developed and the people that have become interested in them and you know and then the sort of the places that they've gone on to play in and, and the the fact that they are you know from here so to speak wherever that is the the scene that you're in whether you live in a city or town or whatever you know, somebody gets established and does well and people talk favourably of their roots, you know. We, even if they're not attached to the roots anymore, that people still tend to have a pride in in uh, in where they're from, you know. Or people ask them where they're from because some people are wanting to understand, you know, how somebody came to have this message, you know, came to play in this way or play with this attitude and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, all those things really, uh, I really felt like I've witnessed in, within Manchester, you know, in 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 the UK as a city. Uh, Manchester is a great city, in my opinion, not only because I'm essentially from, you know, this part of the world, the Manchester kind of, uh, I'm originally born in Salford, actually, but, you know, grew up the other side of Manchester, but spent a lot of time in Manchester as a boarding school when I was in uh, 14, lived in Manchester for uh, years and, and then went to London, came back to came back ultimately to Manchester, lived in South Manchester for many, 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 many years and became part of a scene, you know. And that scene had a real energy and vibrancy to it that was that is unique i haven't seen a scene like that anywhere else uh and and then in you know latterly because of my job and also living there for a while and and, and obviously traveling there every day still leeds has a real scene which I've, again i've never seen that's that kind of scene anywhere else it's unique to itself a different kind of attitude different kind of music that it's kind of, uh, you know, it seems to breed this uh, sort of taste and style and feel of music, <clears throat> you know. But it's just interesting that we forget that that we add things to our own vocabulary or arsenal, if you like, whatever you want to think about it. Some people think of it in that way, like a kind of, you know, having more things to kind of get out, weapons or whatever, you know. Some people think of it as... As a kind of library, you know, some people just think of it as, 
specifically is becoming more stylistically diverse you know some people think of the opposite they want to get more more into their roots and into their style and become and, and really focus on that you know these are all tricky decisions but there's also the thing of the, the additions that you add to yourself you're you're also adding to the scene with it with what you're within and that can present challenges itself because it because it maybe means that your tastes and the way in which you play and, and the music that you want to play, the projects that you want to be involved in, change, you know. And that change can have, you know, an impact upon you know, the social side of, of the music that you play, you know, the, the sort of personal relationships you have. Because like a lot of a lot of the musicians I've played with, um, like I'd say 80% of that I've played with semi-regularly or regularly I have a good personal relationship with you know I know I know about these people I know about their lives and this that, and the other and their views and stuff you know more I know more about them than just the music that they play and sort of uh you know even just kind of casual you know sort of fill in the space with uh, small talk so to speak you know what I mean um I think the nature of when you're hanging around at gigs and you've got time to kill and people will get into all sorts of interesting conversations you know um so there's there's always that thing of you know people that you tend to play with and be around and uh, i've been lucky to play with lots and lots and lots of different people lots of uh, great people um is that when you sort of change your style of playing or you get into a different vibe or whatever it, it can have a bit of an impact upon that social scene there's people i used to play with years ago all the time um, that I haven't seen now for probably 10 years, nearly. You know, there are people that I played with a lot. I mean, I, I played with two or three times a week, you know, and saw a lot of. And uh, just because of sort of changes in uh, kind of circumstance within within music, you know, and some of it's about teaching as well. It's, it's also a sort of slight change in lifestyle by when I was, you know, 2006, fo wanting to focus more um on teaching than just playing i mean again it's what i previously discussed but that had quite a big you know social impact on uh, on my sort of relationship with um you know people i used to play with so all these things that you're the, these, these sort of decisions that you make you know they, they can have an implication not only on yourself and growing your own sort of growth but the sort of the, the growth of the scene that you're within you know um, so it can be, you know, quite challenging, but this idea of, of things to practice and then making those decisions about, about saying, oh yeah, I'm really into that. Yeah. I'm going to carry on practicing that. I'm going to get better at that. Um, these can be, they can be quite challenging decisions. I think, I think that it's not that easy to just blindly have faith in, you know, a book like you buy stick control. Everyone says stick control. So you buy stick control, you know, you open stick control and you read the, the paragraphs at the beginning. He uh, talks about the, the rudimental drummer and the uh, and the, the snare drum player, sorry, and the classical, I think it's like the classical snare drum player or something like that. I can't remember it specifically. It's, it's kind of two paragraphs. You read those paragraphs and one of them relates to you. Um, funnily enough, they both related to me at the time because I was studying classical snare drum, but I was practicing jazz drums, you know. Um, so I quite liked what he was, the things he talks about 
remembering touch you know the rudimental drummers remember that you know you, you we have a touch we we have a sound a connection with the instrument to make you know and then uh, the thing with the with the classical players about this kind of um, rhythmic kind of accuracy and all that kind of stuff and uh, sort of thinking about playing in a slightly different way you know both those things kind of resonate with me because I'd sort of been you know doing that anyway um, but then you you know you open like the first page and it's just quavers eighth notes with with stickings and that's it, you know, and you go, okay. So in an abstract kind of way, if you were to just look at that, you know, why would anybody want to practice it? You know, what what would be the point in practicing those exercises? Um, I mean, it's relatively obvious why, because it's basically those stickings, some of them are what I would call Essential stickings, the stickings that you should have down, you know. Being able to play hand to hand, playing doubles, basic paradiddles. When you get to the what, uh, right, 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 and left, 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 and the. And you get to the left, 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 right, and, and the alternating to that right, 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 left, etc., etc. All those other things. You could maybe think, I'm, you know, the, st the stuff I'm playing, I'm not really need to do that, you know. Uh, but I certainly need to do this, and you know, maybe do that as well, etc., etc. But you know, that right, 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 left, for instance. You know, where you go, you know, why would I practice that? Well, you know, I would practice it because it's challenging. Um, just a simple uh, face value thing, you know, it's challenging, and the logic follows for me that if I practice something that's challenging, it's going to give uh, give me more flexibility. Uh, it's going to give me um, more strength, more control. Lots of different things it could give me, but I I put some kind of you know there's there's some logic in what I'm saying, but there's also just well not blind faith but face value, just taking it at face value. And sometimes you've got to do that. Um, sometimes you've got to practice an exercise that you don't quite understand um, for that reason. One might not actually get what one might get out of an exercise until they've practiced it. You know, uh, I've had situations where I've been teaching uh, in the past and I have given a, a student an exercise um, because I've been observing the way they're playing and talking and I've made the decision that, yeah, this is this is a useful exercise for this person to practice, you know. And the response has been, um, well, why, why would I, why, why would I want to practice that? Why do I need to practice that, you know? And there's kind of two responses to that. One is a long procrastinated explanation as to why, um, which still doesn't get the job of work done, um, but it might make the student feel better about, you know, their kind of, you know, 
Or the other one is to, which is my more common response, is to say, well, you know, you know what you've got to do with it. You understand it. You, we can, you can remember it. Let's go away and practice it for this amount of time. If you still don't understand what it's going to do for you after practicing it and being able to play it, come back and um, we can have a discussion about that, you know. And uh, I've never had that discussion with anybody because once they go away and practice the exercise, um, whatever it is, they understand what it gives them, you know, what it, what, what it adds to them. Because my, my, I have one sort of common belief really with, with, with practicing the right stuff um, is that anything that you practice that's good is good for your playing, you know, regardless of, of its style or where it's from or what it is or whatever. If, if you, if it's a, if it's a good exercise, it's good for your playing. It's, it's going to add something to your playing. Okay. It may not be stylistically within the, um, you know, where your head or your heart is at the time, it might be something that, you know, feels a little bit kind of almost at odds with what you're trying to do. Um, but I think, you know, have a bit of faith. It's always good just to have, just to, you know, just to trust in something. Take it at its face value. Um, things like these books, you know, like Stick Control and... Uh, the Charlie Wilcox and stuff, modern rudimental swing solos and, you know, like Alan Dawson, blah, blah, blah. Those, those books, John Riley book, Howard Bodrumming, you know. Um, all these books have kind of hung around for a reason, you know. Um, and it's not just because um, all these people have access to the only publishing company or something like that, you know, some sort of conspiratorial thing. It is actually because the stuff in the books is good. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it's well thought out methodical information. You know, if you look at Joe Morello master studies, for instance, you know, it's like, what's written in that book and the, the order of how it's written um, it's it's not it's not just fallen out of space, you know, and like and sort of randomly landed in in this order of oh yeah, and these exercises are all kind of just coincidentally, you know, it's it's been constructed out of years and years of um, of playing and practicing, tweaking, you know. All those different things, those experiences that people bring when they put pen to paper uh, and they commit, you know, it's it's through experience. And uh, the, the one thing that, you know, none of us can kind of download off the internet or find on YouTube or whatever is experience. Um, you can only have the experience by you know going through the, the the experience of your playing or practicing something or you know uh, putting what you've practiced into playing into reality you know uh, learning something and then 
using that information in real time uh, when it matters in, in, you know, in the studio or in front of an audience or something, you know. So, yeah, it can be, uh, it can be a confusing thing about what do I practice, you know, what I'm, why am I practicing this thing? Um, a lot of that for me depends on who's teaching you or where you're getting your information from. And if you're thinking about the information that you are, um, you know, the information that you're using, if you're thinking about that, then it's probably going to be, you know, uh, some kind of logic behind it. Um, I always kind of make some notes. Um, there always feels to me like one of the things that when you know you've been practicing something and you, you know, you start to play it well, like in isolation, like when you're in you know in a room on your own and you're just practicing something and you start to be able to play it. And then there are these turning points um, within that process. And I kind of I, I, I kind of like this um, this way of thinking about things. Um, I have the uh, from time to time, I have people ask me to teach them traditional grip and as any anyone knows my playing knows that I can play um, match grip or traditional but I, I've played traditional for a long long time and it kind of uh, I got into tr traditional grip playing because I saw Buddy Rich and I thought that looks cool you know and then I, st I just started playing like that and in, and sort of just naturally, everything felt naturally fine, you know, just kind of like I started hitting the drum in that way. Sort of seemed to naturally kind of pick up the stick and turn, you know, through the forearm. I, I, really, I really, really got into this of using the thumb in um, playing doubles and also the forefinger and just and the little, you know, the sort of, the index finger, the, the, the ring finger, sorry, we you know we, where you have the little table, you know. Just just all those, just everything about it just connected with me, really. Be, you know, but I, I got into it because because I saw Buddy Rich. Because I was into Keith Moon before that, and Moon was a was a was a match grip player, and uh, and then I saw Buddy Rich and and then I started watching a lot of other jazz drummers after that, and, and a lot of jazz drummers played traditional grip, not all of them. Some of them, um, and these days, it, I think it's it feels to me like it's more 50 50. Um, but sometimes people ask me to teach them traditional grip, you know, and I'm and I'm always quite um uh, open about whether or not it's you know, someone needs to do it. If someone asks me and they really, really, really want to do it, uh, I will I will definitely help them, you know. Um, but I, I do teach a lot of people that they have this thing where they think they need to because they, because they think that to play jazz, you, you need to be, you need to play traditional grip, you know. And, uh, and, that, and that's not true at all, you know. So you can, you can easily attain the right sound world for what you're stylistically trying to do with either grip, you know, uh, there's no, absolutely no doubt about that. And, uh, but 
sometimes people really want to pretty really want to do it so i you know i talk them through the physics of the grip and make sure they've got the, the the drum set up right we go through different exercises and learning to play doubles and talking about using the forefinger or the thumb with um, within the rebound to generate you know good rounded double sounds and all that kind of stuff talk about comping as well within you know we're playing jazz and different sort of different technical things you know it's just um it's loads of different stuff but i the one thing i say to them is i say i do not go out on a gig and consciously practice traditional grip on a gig just go and play normally as you normally played however you're comfortable you are whatever's most comfortable on a gig don't purposefully go right i'm gonna i'm gonna been practicing my traditional grip i'm going to go out on a gig tonight and play traditional grip you know i my theory is that there's a point where that person will just be playing one day and they'll look down and they'll just be playing traditional grip they won't have thought about it it will just be happening because it's become just part of what they naturally do you know so there's nothing contrived about it. It's just a natural thing that's happened. And at that point, I always say, that's the point when you know you've learned to play traditional grip. It's the turning point. It's like, it's a, and it's a very clear one. And, and, it, and that's why it's good to not, con, in sort of in a contrived way, go out and sort of, you know, I'm going to play traditional grip tonight because you'll, you'll never have that moment really, you know. You want to allow that moment, it's time. It's an important moment. Um, so you can have these turning points and they're different for everybody and it's about, you know, being aware of them for yourself and what they are within whatever you're learning. But you can have these turning points when you're, you know, in the practice room or on gigs, you know, and you're like... Um, kind of out out in the world playing and then suddenly this thing happens i remember when i was learning uh, when i was learning cascada clave tumbao a simple rhythm i remember i've been practicing this thing uh and it was a rhythm that i found really challenging to play i found it hard you know um because I had, because I had a, a kind of where I wanted to play it and a sound world that I wanted to play it within, and, and and it was, and I was doing a lot of gigs at the time with a with a very good uh, band that was playing music with a lot of very good musicians and that could really play Cuban music, you know, um, and it was a you know proper Latin band and a authentic singer and um, really good bass player who was a really very knowledgeable percussionist and then a very very good conga player in the band who was really well studied I just felt like a fraud you know but I just I always remember this gig and I even remember where it was and the room and everything about it as I think about it now you know and uh, I just we were just playing uh, a tune and I just suddenly was able to play that rhythm I was able to play the the song clave and the tumbao and the bass drum and the cascara thing on the, on a ride or something, you know, some sort of thing, whatever, wherever it was. And it was 
the first time outside the practice room that I'd ever been able to play it without thinking about it. You know, it was, uh, it, I just sat down and I was playing this tune and then suddenly I was just playing this rhythm and it was like I'd, been, it was like I'd always been playing it. And it was a bizarre feeling because it was like, I didn't know how to not play it, you know. It's like I'd always played it. And that's one of the one of those amazing things about those turning points. You know, there's, there's this thing about setting the standard, which is about playing at a sort of a minimum level of of sound or whatever, always playing within that, con that sort of control boundary. You know, I'm going to sound like this. And then there's the then there's the things that you're playing, the actual stuff that you're learning or practicing, and then it, you'll suddenly be able to play it, and it suddenly it's like oh, I've, it's like I've always been able to do it, and it's just a fascinating fascinating thing with um, the plasticity of the mind, you know, and sort of um, neural networks and all that stuff. Um, and I think as you get older, I think that those those things in your brain they become more solid, actually, you know. And they kind of start to sort themselves out. And you you get this thing where people say, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know. And it's like, I think if there's a if there's a will, there's a way, you know, because the brain can this 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 neural network and the plasticity um thing, the plasticity of the brain, this can it can change, you know. So if if somebody is, you know, 65 years old and wants to learn to play the drums or wants to learn to play the piano or something with the right information uh you know good teacher or whatever a good instrument and uh and a, and a you know some sort of personal affinity or maybe you know maybe talent or you know just that sort of natural thing of of it sort of connecting with them then i think that that you can go a long way even at that age i, d I don't think we become that fixed you know within uh, within that type of learning uh, i mean i'm not that old yet i might be completely wrong but i've i've seen it and um and i i certainly still have it now i'm nearly 50 you know and i, and I definitely have uh, there's some things that i play now that i couldn't play 10 years ago and I, and i don't know why i couldn't play them 10 years ago i'm almost ashamed that i couldn't play them 10 years ago because they feel pathetic now but they were they were a big deal <laughs> when I was trying to get them together, you know. And uh, even in the last few few years, I had some lessons a few years ago with uh, with somebody, a very, very uh, great teacher, and uh, just practicing some of those things after that lesson, you know, now I can play them. And, I, and it's just hilarious, really, that it's like, uh, why couldn't I play them then? Well, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't learned them. I hadn't got that stuff together yet, you know. But by practicing things properly... Um, then you know, I was able to to kind of uh, have that eureka moment, that turning point moment, you know. But it's easier said than done. So you know, one of the one of the things I was in my notes here was sort of saying about setting goals, really, and having realistic goals, you know, um, and not sort of having not doing too many things. And not having unrealistic expectations, you know, because um, that there's the kind of two, there's the long and the short thing, isn't it? Or, well, the short and the long thing. The short things are the short-term goals. You know, I want to be able to play um, this first line of this exercise 
by the end of this hour today. You know, that's a short-term goal, and it might just be going... It might just be that, simple or something like that, you know. And those sort of those sort of goals come through having having good material that you understand and know how to practice, know what to do with the, with the good material. You know, uh, if you don't understand what you're doing with the material, it's neither use nor ornament to you. But if you've you know if you've got you know good approach, some sort of systematic learning, um, and you've also got a bit of that, yeah, I'm going to take this at face value for what it is. I'm going to a bit of faith in this then you're going to do okay, short-term. And then the, the more long-term goals, again, it's having realistic expectations. You know, where, where, what do you actually want to do? What do you actually want to sound like? And what's your aim? You know, how, how do you want to be this good or that good? Or what are, what are those things? And actually, it can be quite, it can be quite a difficult question to ask, answer that because a lot of the time, I think people tend to say, oh, I want to sound like, you know, uh, Tony Williams or something, you know. Mm. Or like me, it was Jack Jeanette, you know. I wanted to play with Keith Jarrett, you know, some ridiculous, completely unrealistic goal. But that was, that was a, it was a genuinely deluded goal when I was, you know, like 18 or 19. But it, it actually didn't matter because, um, you know, that never happened. Neither of those things ever happened. And it's all fine because just the energy of that, the energy of wanting to attain that level um, certainly propelled me probably further than if I'd have set my goal on something else, you know, and had gone further down that road. Um you know, if I'd if I'd have been if I'd have stayed kind of in the rock thing, which I was really into when I was young, and I was listening to the jam and things, Style Council, you know, and and the Who and um, all that kind of that kind of music. Um, if I'd have just stayed in that thing, I'd have got into totally different players and and gone down that road, and and having that, you know, I want to sound like John Bonham or something, you know, I want to sound like. Um, He's just passed away now, the, the most you know amazing Neil Peart. You know, just that those, again, they're unrealistic goals, but they're, they definitely kind of propel you, you know. They, they, they give you a, this kind of point to aim for. Um, but you can set some realistic long-term goals, you know. Um, things like like simple things like I want to be able to um, have make a living out of playing music in some way, you know. So um, that could be like the portfolio career thing of where, you know, you do a little bit of teaching, you play in a commercial band, you've got a couple of artistic projects, which tend to take you away from those two other worlds. Um, and then um, then there's your own kind of, you know, practice time that you need to make, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the, the idea is to not have to supplement 
any of that by doing something else, you know. That's the kind of, you know, so the portfolio career musician. I mean, these are the things you can do as a portfolio career musician, you know, that's slightly outside playing but are within music. But uh, I don't really know anything about that because that was never what I wanted to do and I can only really share my own experience. But, you know, I, what I wanted to do was to play the drums and um, and make that kind of lifestyle decision um as in that kind of music and and the, the sort of social side of that make it something that i could live within you know and and that was really 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 hard uh for me uh the level i was playing at when i was you know in my 20s in my late 20s and and, and in my 30s you know up before i started teaching uh seriously uh i mean i was always teaching but when I, you know when i started teaching to kind of higher education level post you know 18 plus level when i was um when i was uh when i was like 36 actually well actually i was teaching some college what 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 you might call college we we would call 16 to 18 year olds you know uh teaching some very very good uh students at that age that were in the same institution so um and they were very motivated as well. And so it was like teaching the 18-year-olds, you know, the ones that were, had gone into, like, conservatoire education, you know, at HE level, you know. You know. So it, that was the sort of people I wanted to teach because it was, it, it's just, for me, it's just, it's just what I'm interested in, you know. I'm, I'm a terrible person for, like, you know, not, if I'm not interested in something, I'm, I just can't really fake the interest in it you know i just um it's it's kind of like uh it's like when i'm practicing i really have to be you know motivated to practice something because it, it's got to be interesting for me you know um but that interesting can have different sort of you know different levels of it or different elements to it that maybe not as obvious so i like for instance i i find anything that's coordinationally challenging interesting now uh, as i've got older um so all those kind of what i think was quite tedious exercises when i was younger uh, now interest me because uh because i well, there's two things. One is I see the value in them. And secondly, uh, I really, I get a very positive um, personal kind of feeling when, you know, when I kind of get over that hurdle, you know. So there's that kind of, that value in it as well. But it's just the process of uh, practicing those things is I find really, it's just a really, really interesting thing. And they're all, you know, the, the, the long and the, the the short, sorry, and long of things like that is yeah. I'm, I want to get this line of something done today, and then long term, I want to be able to have that ability to access that in real time. You know, so that can be another long term kind of uh, thing. Like one thing I I've been practicing for quite. a quite a while now on and off then i go sort of in and out of it is this um it's this thing within swing which i learned off um a john riley master class and it's this when you're feathering the bass drum and you're practicing like kind of uh, comping 
exercises, say in the left hand, a little bit slower actually. And then changing the bass drum pattern. So you're going from playing, it, it, it's all in 12-8 or 4-4, four, four, but 12, oh, excuse me, just hit the microphone there. Um, 12 uh, quavers, 12 eighth notes in the bow. Um, and so the first one is just playing the feather bass drum on 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, or 1, 2, 3, 2, 2, 3, 3, 3, 3, 4, 2, 3, et cetera, et cetera. So it's in groups of three. And then the bass drum just modulates and plays like a samba thing. Still in the same division, but in groups of four. And the ride cymbal pattern just carries on the same. It's still playing ting, ting, to ting, ting, to ting, ting, to ting, ting, to ting. So you have that bass drum going underneath it. Ting to ting, 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 ting to ting. I'll play with the sticks, play with my finger then. This wasn't a great idea. So you've got this feathered thing going on here. And the hi-hat's on two and four. And then what happens is the bass drum starts playing on the first and the fourth. Uh, first and the fourth in the groups of four triplet quavers. And then what I, what I was then getting into practicing with that um, first of all, I had to learn to do that, which I couldn't do, which it was hard, you know. And then once I got into that, I went back to all these, all these left-hand uh, comping patterns, uh, coordinational patterns that I'd been learning in, in swing time. And I, and I practiced them all with that new bass drum pattern underneath. And um, it's just some amazing, lovely amazing different rhythmical uh, things that happen because of changing that bass drum pattern and uh, and what was really f interesting for me was how quickly I could I could get those left hand patterns together within with that new bass drum pattern because I'd practiced them the other way so systematically you know and I've been practicing for a long time and it's not just about just playing the patterns it's all about this kind of uh, all about this balance of sound it's not it's like playing it's about having that um, it's about having that control over the left hand, you know, and the right hand is trying to play this um, kind of even uh, crotchet thing, quarter note thing, with this with this drop skip sound going on. So in that thing is the two, there's the foundations three acts idea sorry of setting the new standard which is the sound thing and then what i'm talking about today is the actual physical thing of practicing that new coordinational exercise within that sound world you know uh, for me i see great value in that um i've definitely noticed an improved connection to my right foot uh, in all styles of music 
all styles of music, you know. And this sort of um, gets me to uh, the next part of this is 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 once you got beyond that sort of short and long term target thing, um, is just you know realizing like why did why did I go down this kind of jazz life way of practicing the drums, you know. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of the ways that I practice the drums are connected stylistically to playing uh, jazz music uh, and styles are connected to playing jazz, so like Latin styles and playing with brushes and playing three and playing five and seven and all that, playing swing music, you know, uh, playing straight eighth music, which is... Um, highly syncopated all these different things you know like why, why why did i why did i choose to do that and yet i don't play um exclusively i don't play jazz exclusively at all you know i wouldn't even call myself uh, a jazz a jazz drummer you know uh, as i've said before i mean I, I you know think of myself as a musician really that's that's simply what it is and you know all all drummers certainly have the right to think that you know it was an old, it used to be the old cliche didn't it of, of, of uh you know 60 musicians and a drummer in a band that was a that was a big a jazz big band you know <laughs> 16 musicians and a drummer and that that kind of um the sort of cliches or even prejudices if you like you know uh for drummers i don't think exists anymore I think we've kind of got over that sort of thing, um, you know, because I I know about I know how to write music and I know about harmony and stuff like that as well, you know, and uh, I can uh, have those conversations with uh, with other musicians within a band, you know, and I've run my own band and written my own music and played my own music and and I write a lot of a lot of the stuff that I practice to uh, when i'm not practicing to a metronome the stuff that i practice to is is music that i write i write it for practicing i don't write it to play it with a, with a band or anything I, I write music for practicing so i'm writing specific styles within a specific tempo within a specific time signature etc etc because i want to practice that thing some of the stuff i practice is, is heavy it's quite loud quite rocky some of it is very gentle um quite syncopated music you know all kinds of different things some of it's in a lot of things i've been practicing the last few years actually have been in odd time signatures because i'm not very good at playing you know in like um in five and eleven particularly i don't mind seven uh nines nines okay um i don't into the five and the four sort of a grouping thing doesn't bother me uh, but playing actually just in five, uh, I've always found a bit challenging. Uh, and 11, um, I, I used to find really challenging. Um, not so bad, not so bad anymore. Um, but a lot of that's because I've written music to practice to that's been specific to to achieve those kind of long-term goals of getting better at playing those types of things. You know, understanding... Uh, different claves that we can have within different time signatures. For instance, you know, um, looking at 11, 
I'm looking at the six and five thing, the three, 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 two, and then the sort of four, four, three, eight thing. All those different things, I've just written stuff so I can practice those. So the short-term thing is, okay, I want to be able to today be able to play in 11 and do like a 4-4 four, four thing with a 3-8 and then do uh, and also play 3-3-2-3, three, 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 you know. You know, using just those two groupings. So that was like three, three, two, three, and then and then the the sort of four, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one. You know that kind of thing. You can think about all those things in different ways, but essentially the short the short term goal is 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 learning to do that. The long-term goal is to make that natural, to make it something that I can just recall and become part of my playing, you know. Um, but there's just that, that, that sort of holistic thing of why did I choose to learn to play the drums in this way, like practice these things. And uh, when I think back through the sort of the history of how I, how I used to, how I learned to practice, which took me a long, 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 long time, years and years and years to really learn to practice. Um, especially away from the classical tradition, which, again, I've made reference to in in, in, in the earlier podcasts, but just that thing of, like, playing like playing off the page, playing written music, you know, playing snare drum etudes, classical snare drum etudes, and also playing the Wilcox and stuff, the, the modern rudimental swing solo stuff, which were rudimental solos, you know, uh, they're, they're very different because, you know, the classical snare drum playing, there's different sort of sound and then the roles are different, the, 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 the stipulation of how the roles play are different, different discipline, you know, um, and the way in which the drags are played and the flams and stuff, statement sounds and all that stuff. Very, very interesting. I just, I realised that I was better as I got older, as, as I got into my 20s and 30s, I'd been better at practicing the written material when I was younger than I'd ever been able to, ever been at practicing the stuff that I was trying to get my jazz playing together or my rock playing together, the stuff that I was kind of, you know, the things that I'd learned from Dave and remembered and written down and, and gone back to and the books that I'd bought, you know, and all of the, all the music that I'd listened to and people that I tried to copy and tried to assimilate to and all that stuff. Um... You know, it's really, really interesting that that the written material was the stuff that I because it's just that thing of like I was told by my teacher to learn this thing and I just took it at face value, you know. And uh, I learned I, when I realised the value of that. I learned a lot from that, you know. So, but the stylistic thing was ultimately that I wanted to sound like certain drummers. Um, and I really, really got into playing, you know, uh, jazz and fusion music at a sort of young age, you know. So that kind of took me down, took me down the road of learning to to practice in this way. But actually, what I've noticed is when I've gone back to playing other styles of music, which I do, um, is that all all the things that I've practiced have really, really helped. Me with those with those other styles of music you know and i almost like think i don't really know what i would have practiced actually um to to just play those other styles of music it's funny you know maybe it's just 
you know, Rick Latham book, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other um, groove sort of books that people, uh, oh, there's one I can't, I can't think of the name of it now. But yeah, those kind of books that, you know, people practice from for playing kind of what you call straight music or, you know, groove music. Um, you know, Gary Chafee, you know, those kind of books, which um, which have lots of coordinational stuff in them, but have lots of kind of patterns and, you know, uh, they're kind of forgetting around the instrument in, in a certain way. Um, so it's kind of, I feel like the the, the, the the path that I've gone down has really kind of given me like a, like a lot of different options, you know, um, it, you know, in relation to playing with lots of different people in lots of different styles, and just this way of of practicing, and this kind of way of, you know, un- understanding this 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 way of 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 having short and long term goals, and and having this thing of like one side of it is setting a standard of of how the level I'm going to do things at as a minimum and that thing hopefully as the years go by getting higher and then it, and then the material that, that that's done within that kind of approach you know the right material within that approach so it it's something that you know you can think about and um, talk about with with your peers around you or with with your teacher if you've got a teacher at the moment or if you haven't got a teacher maybe seek somebody out that's really kind of um you know like connecting with where your head's at and where you want to sound like you know um and have those discussions and and talk about what you're practicing and um, share those experiences as well you know um because you're everything you share is adding is adding to the pool it's adding to that woodland, you know, it's adding to that scene. It's adding to other people's experiences, you know. Um, and, the, you know, the, the more that we do that, the, the, the better the, this art form will become, you know. Um, the thing that I always feel very proud of drummers with, and uh, this is no disrespect to any other instrumentalist, by the way, but I do think that drummers... Are some of the most open people about material, you know, about what, about about how something's played, or or a pattern, or a chop, you know, some kind of riff, or some kind of, you know, thing that somebody's doing. There's the simple thing of like, there's no secret as to what it is, because you've still got to go away and, and learn to play it. You know the physicality of doing it is is where you earn the right, you know, to play it. If somebody tells you, "Oh, this is how I play this thing," you know, that doesn't mean that you can do it, does it? It's, you know, and I think it's it's great that within drums, there's there's very little secrecy um, within any of it. You know, people very openly talk about about how they're doing what they're doing and, and what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. Um, the key is finding somebody to study with that you can check in with. Um, again, I've talked about that before, but I think that's really important. It's just having that somebody you can check in with 
talk about any problems that you're having. Because the thing about problems is very simple. Is don't don't create a story with a problem. I was talking a bit about last week about how people, you know, can interact with each other and create stories that never needed to exist, you know. And so don't create a story with a problem for yourself. I mean, not even with anybody else, but just with yourself. You're playing games with your own brain, you know, creating. is create solutions to problems, you know. Find solutions to problems and create those solutions. Uh, have that understanding about how to, you know, move forward um, with something that could be, uh, that feels like it's a real problem for you. You know, there's there's always a solution to a problem. Always a solution to a problem. It's maybe not always be the solution that you're most happy about, but it will be a solution. And sometimes it's just about acceptance, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to have to do this thing or I'm not going to be doing this thing, you know. And some of that can be the unrealistic goal thing. You know, don't have unrealistic goals. Make sure that you're that your goals are um, are something that's you know connected to um, what you're practicing, what you're actually doing. You know, um, but you can dream. We all dream, and so you know, I used to kind of like I was talking about before about the wanting to play with. Uh, I mean, all, all all the people I was listening to all the great people I was listening to when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, 19, whatever. And, and when I got beyond kind of 18, 19, I, I, there was definitely a change for me. But before that, all those people I was listening to, I wanted to play with, you know, I was like absolutely determined to be good enough to play with those people. You know, it was just a, just a dream, you know? And, uh, as I got older, the, the reality, um, started to kick in. And uh, I got a better understanding where I was as a player, and what I had to offer, what I, what, you know, where my skill set was and where my skill set wasn't. Uh, just as things I was talking like last week about the studio experiences, you know, the studio thing has always been a. I've I haven't done a huge amount of studio work in my in my playing life, you know. Um, I've done a lot more live playing, and therefore kind of have have less to show for my experience than um, than say someone who's a studio drummer who, who plays a lot and records a lot of albums and cuts a lot of albums you know and that 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 person there's a, there's an archive there which you can you know you can dip into press play listen and um but you know, recording something that I really, really enjoy the process of. You know, I, I, I find it's a, diff, a very different headspace, um, but it's something I've done less of. You know, so, but it was never a it was never a great goal for me. Um, I wanted to play music live. You know, it was always a thing of playing with people and and, and the opportunity to kind of uh, maybe to travel a bit and stuff as well. Um, although when I was younger, I was I was a pretty I wasn't a great traveller. I didn't really like flying and stuff, and quite a sort of anxious person really. So I was never kind of pushy with um, you know into projects where I knew people would be doing lots of you know going all over the world and stuff. It was something that at the time when I was younger, I was like used to f- completely freak me out, you know. 
uh, it's totally different now, but at that time, it was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a boundary for me, a bit of a, you know, something that sort of did inhibit the, um, that kind of side of my, uh, my career, if you like. I mean, a lot of that stuff's about opportunity anyway, and a lot of that stuff's about opportunity that's outside your own control. Some of it's luck, some of it's about, you know, geographical where you live, you know, and the, and the scene that you're around, and, and what's hip at that time in scenes. You know, so uh, I was very lucky in the late 90s to be part of the UK drum and bass scene, you know, and I played in a group called Jimster, and Jimster still exists. Jamie O'Dell is a, a brilliant producer, a great keyboard player as well, and a DJ now and travels all over the world and stuff. But J Jamie had a band called Jimster, which um, had a guy called Roger Wickham, uh, known as Chip Wickham now. He's a, a great flute player, sax player, and, and writes his own music and stuff. And um, he's got quite a few albums out. And do a little bit of playing with him. Uh, and have done recently. Um, top guy. And the guy called Sheen Towers, who is a, uh, is a bass player who moved to London quite a few years ago. It was a very, very talented, uh, very a great bass player and very talented musician, very uh, melodic musician. Um, but he's a very, very talented martial artist as well. And, uh, and he moved to London oh, quite a long time ago now, probably 20 years ago. Um, and we sort of, you know, another people that you lose touch with. But that group... The Jimster group was uh, was a great uh, band because we were playing live, you know. We were playing that music live, and it was born out of a scene. Uh, it was born out of a bigger scene in the UK, but it, for me and that group, it was born out of a Manchester thing that was going on at that time. And uh, again, it, the, the thing that really appealed to me about that situation, uh, one was I was playing music with my friends, and uh, me and Jamie Roger, well, Roger and Jamie uh, and the and a guy called Chris Brown, really, uh, lovely bass player, um, brother of Steve Brown, the great British jazz drummer. Um, we had a quartet and we used to do lots of gigs playing kind of... Um, sort of Bob Jamesy, smooth, jazzy stuff, and some slightly more edgy stuff as well. A band called Unamass. Um, and I used to do a lot of gigs with that band. Very, very, just little small jazzy gigs in little venues and used to just drive around all over the place. And it was, you know, there was no money in any of it. It was just a social thing. But I, I again, it really appealed to me because I was playing with my friends and I was playing gigs. Just just out every night playing gigs, you know, uh, earning absolutely no money at all. I mean, it was farcical, really. You think about the amount of hours put in. For the, used to be a gig we did somewhere in Manchester um, that we got used to get nine pounds for this gig um, on a Wednesday, and we used to play that on a Friday sometimes and get eleven pounds. I mean, it, that was. But we were just wanted to play together. It was a place to play to play tunes, you know. And I met everybody, pretty much everybody I know out of out of that scene as well. Um, but the thing with the Jimster thing was, it was 
it was born out of a, a kind of scene that was going on in Manchester and uh, there was a lot of clubs that had DJs playing with musicians and uh, there was a lot of jam sessions as well that were not jazz jams. They were sort of um, edgy dance music sort of jams. And, I, and I, I'm, you know, I wasn't a clubbing person at all. <laughs> I was completely square and very sad. Um, not hip and all those kind of things. But I really loved playing that music, you know. And uh, even like dance music, I, I like disco music. I love playing all that. Those kind of four on the floor groove kind of stuff. It's great. You know, it feels very close to playing samba to me and things like that. You know, I don't know physically, it's just it's that connection to sort of the ground, you know. Um, the roots, the roots of it all, you know. Um, so, yeah, so so that sort of thing really appealed to me because it was playing with my friends and also, and also playing live a lot. And Jimster only made... It made three EPs. I played on two of the three. <clears throat> Quick drink. And then an album. Um, and it, I'm talking about within that current configuration of bands. <clears throat> I joined the band after the first EP came out. And then I played a little bit on the second and third EPs on different tunes. And then... Um, in fact, it might have already been two EPs. I can't think of what the third EP was, actually. Maybe there was three. But, yeah, there was not, there's not a huge amount of material out there. Um, but the album came out in 99. I co-wrote one of the tunes on it, which was also released on a another album, which was to do with the Big Chill Festival. We played at the first Big Chill Festival um, that year, and there's a, the comp there's a compilation album made of all the artists that played, and and off the album, the track that me and Jamie wrote was chosen for the album, which was great. And uh, but we, yeah, the band wasn't travelling too far, you know, so it wasn't too much of a stressful thing for me because I was, yeah, I wasn't really a great traveller at that time. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like they, you make those decisions. And, um, you know, sort of life and, and things and the energy of things tends to take care of itself. But some stuff is about luck and some stuff is about where you are and, you know, where you position yourself within the scene or whether you know, where you're creating a scene, you know, you're adding to this pool, you're writing new music or collaborating with uh, musicians in a certain way and creating a certain kind of sound or a bit of a buzz or whatever, you know. And... Uh, yeah, if you're putting music out there, I think that everybody has a time, you know. I think that everybody has a, has a time playing live um, to audiences and connecting, you know. So that's kind of it, really. Um, just think about what you're practising as well as, you know, how you're practising. Those two things are really important. Make sure you understand the things that you are practising. Even if it's just understanding that you're taking them uh, at face value because they have a fundamental value to them, you know. Books like Master Studies, Stick Control, uh, the Wilcoxon books, all those kind of um, rudimental snare drum books fundamentally have, have, have a value to them, you know, because it's good material, you know. John Riley, Art of Bop Drumming, both, well, there's the Bop Drumming and then there's the Beyond Bop Drumming. Both those books 
have value because the material is good material you know it's sound well thought out methodical material it's not it's not thrown together by a mishmash of x y and z it's you know it's a serious it's a serious job of work you know um any of those great books even things like i've recommended before the modern reading textbook i think i've talked about that that, that's you know if you want to learn to read shapes that's the book to buy you know Modern reading text, Lou Belson. I think it's edited by, I can't remember who it's actually edited by, but it's just if you want to learn to read shapes, that's the book to buy, you know. Conversations in Clave, you know, um, Horatio Hernandez. Like, if you want to get the fundamentals of that music together, you know, that's the book to buy. You want to understand, you know, playing in six and four at the same time and how those two, how... Uh, you know, uh, rumba clave and bembe connect, all that stuff. You know, it's like that's a great book. It's a great place to start. You know, it's there's a lot of information in that book. I could go on and on and on and on about different books, but the point is, is you know, these are all starting points, aren't they? You know, and uh, how we do what we do, what you practice, understanding what you practice is really key to um, is to making progress but also developing your own way of teaching um, which I'm going to leave that there because I'm going to kind of talk about that uh, well I'm going to talk about the whole topic in another podcast I don't want to go into it now and I've realised that this has been going on for ages now it's crikey might have been the longest one yet um so yeah thanks for listening um there'll be another one next week i'm not sure what the topic of that is yet um i was considering um doing a uh doing a thing on just another thing on brushes an ex- like an extended episode from the previous one just talking a bit more detail about some approaches to brushes that could be on the agenda um i was there's also i want to do a thing on technique talking about technique um yeah so all sorts of stuff coming up i think in the next uh few months so yeah thanks for listening and uh, i'll see you again very soon Bye for now.